Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of the Haiku Chronicle podcast. I'm Patricia, your host, and if you've joined me for the next instalment of the Haiku Techniques season, you're about to be disappointed. But don't worry, I'll continue with that next week, with the technique What, Where and When. But this week, fear not, I've got a real treat for you. This week, our podcast is brought to you by various members of the Haiku Chronicle community, writing as or about women. Today, my dear listener, we will meet lots of new friends and reconnect with some old ones. But first of all, where did this topic, women, come from? Roger Watson, the rather lovely haiku poet we heard from in episode 31, alerted me to a chapter in R.H. Blythe's book, A History of Haiku, Volume 1, entitled Women Haiku Writers. Now, as I said last week, I've been a feminist for a long time, from about my third birthday, when my lovely brother was born. That's when I was first confronted with inequality. He still gets away with stuff that I could never get away with. Anyway, I became quite the feminist, and I still am. But I'm a feminist who's willing to understand that life for women and attitudes about women have changed for the better over time. I believe when we read about said attitudes, we should take into account the prevailing thoughts of the time, be outraged by all means, but then perhaps realise there's really nothing you can do about the past, but you can do something about the future. If you're not of this opinion, then perhaps the next wee bit should be skipped. But really don't. It's quite fun. Anyway, to get back to Mr Blythe and his chapter on women haiku writers. At first, I was piqued by his comments. But then I began to find his pronouncements funny, because in today's terms, he's talking absolute rubbish. Bless him. To give some context, Mr Blythe lived from 1898 to 1864. And I learnt that he was educated at my alma mater, University College, London University. Which in itself has no relevance, except that it was the first college of London University to be established. And it was set up to offer higher education to those of us who were non-conformist in our religious beliefs. And one of the first university establishments to offer higher education to women in the UK. At the time of Blythe's education, it had an enlightened attitude and indeed continues to do so today. Blythe met and married a lady he met at said university, and yet, even in this progressive educational establishment, there existed gentlemen with the thoughts of Mr Blythe. Perhaps his views were those of a liberal thinker of the time, I can't say. But I can read you one of the lines from the opening of his chapter. Men have a tendency towards intellectuality. Women to sentimentality, both foes of poetry. But intellectuality is easier to cure. Mm-hmm. He provides us with examples from Japanese female writers. Kawai Chigetsu, who lived from 1634 to 1718. She was a woman in Basho's circle of writers, and she wrote this. Mountain cherry petals fall and scatter over the water wheel of the brook. Blythe pronounced this as too pretty for poetry. Sute Jo, who lived from 1633 to 1698, wrote, 
Among the cloudy ways are there also shortcuts, the summer moon. Of which Blythe says, this is an ingenious but hardly feminine verse. He doesn't actually say why he is of this opinion, but I'm guessing it's because it's lacking in emotion. Emotion, of course, is a feminine trait. Sonojo, who lived from 1649 to 1723 and was another of Basho's writing circle, wrote this. Oh, how busy I was plucking the violets, absorbed in them. Which apparently brings out the unthinking, unthought nature of spring through the thoughtless nature of a woman. Steady on, Mr Blythe. And then there is Shuziki, who lived from 1668 to 1725 and was apparently famous for her verses. But, he says, most are ridiculously sentimental, like the following. The pheasant's tail touches the violets softly. And finally, from Chiyojo, who lived from 1701 to 1775, is a good example of a haiku of women. Butterflies, as the girl walks along before and behind her. As I rather like this haiku, I'm choosing to believe that he meant this as a compliment, but I have a horrible feeling I could be wrong. So, it was Blythe's thoughts on the gender-specific nature of haiku writers that inspired me to ask for haiku and senryu on the topic of women. Let's enjoy these pieces in a less judgmental way. First, I'd like to welcome Radostina Dragostinova from Sofia in Bulgaria. If we forget that Blythe possibly didn't approve of women working, I think he would approve of Radostina's employment. She's a financial analyst. Surely that means she's capable of objective thought. Imagine that. To come back to contemporary thought, I'll tell you a little bit about her. She's a very creative analyst. She enjoys poetry, Ikebana, photography and film. And, of course, the time she can spend with her young daughter. Radostina is starting out on her haiku adventure, having started to write only a few months ago. I hope you'll agree that for someone who is a relative novice, her haiku is delightful. White peony. Her wedding dress trails the gossips. Here she's used the colour white to suggest innocence and the peony flower for mysticism. I can see that. I can also see an innocent bride walking up the aisle of a church with the congregation gossiping about her. Next, we'll hear from Veronica Hosking, one of our regular contributors living and writing in the USA. Hello, Veronica. Her senryu was written on the occasion of her daughter's 20th birthday, the day she left her teenage years behind her. 20. Girlhood fades. Remember witches and magic. Do not die again. This was inspired by Sylvia Plath, who wrote this. You are twenty, you are not dead, although you were dead. The girl who died and was resurrected. Children, witches, magic, symbols. Remember the illogic of the fantasy, the strange tableau in the closet behind the bathroom, the feast, the beast and the jelly bean. Recall, remember, please do not die again. Next up, I'd like to welcome Robin Smith, who hails from Delaware in the US. Remember I did an episode on the connection between disability and haiku? Well, 
Robin hasn't been able to work for the last nine years or so due to her disability, and she took up poetry as she felt it is something one can do anywhere, even in bed. She began with haiku because of the brevity and the mindfulness it requires, finding that it slows her brain down and forces her to adjust her lens on life. I'm happy to tell you that it's been immensely helpful for her stress levels. What I like about Robin's work is that she's not afraid to tackle socially tough or taboo topics. She says she's trying to reach both those that identify with her view as well as those who don't, and hopes that what she writes may cause people to reflect on their views. It certainly worked with me with one of her pieces. So let's hear them. Open door policy. He labels me a complainer. This is very close to home for me. My actual day job is recruiting. When I ask people why they're looking for new jobs, one reason I hear again and again from men and women, but probably more from women, is that when they speak to managers, particularly about something they'd like to change or alter in their job, it's heard as a complaint. And next, a woman begging for money, the reek of judgment. For me, the first section is very visual. I don't see this happening very often here in my home city of Zurich. But in the city where I was born, London, you see this a lot. It's all too easy, and I hold my hands up to say that I'm as guilty as the next person, to look at these women, or indeed men, without a shred of humanity. What I liked about this piece is that it confronts me straight on, reminds me that the begging woman is just as human as me or you. Now let's welcome another new face and our first gentleman of the day, apart from Mr Blythe, of course. This gentleman is Abby. Abby is from the UK, although by the time this podcast goes out, he might be in Ethiopia, where he'll be working for a couple of years as part of the UK's overseas aid team. Although he's been writing poetry for years, a friend suggested that he try to write in a more succinct way, which is how he came to haiku. But Avi is an innovator. Having found that the form did not allow him to express himself fully, he's gone with a two-verse haiku and senryu. Now, if there's one thing I've learnt since starting out, it's that we don't have hard and fast rules in English language haiku. And so, this could be a new evolution of the genre. Has anyone else seen examples of this? Let's hear from Avi with this senryu, which is about his wife, and he's called it Awake. You looked beautiful as you lay calmly sleeping, your face turned to me. Unable to sleep, turning over, I saw you and felt comforted. Another new poet for us is Janali Korea, another poet from the US, where haiku is still clearly going strong. Welcome, Janali. Janali would probably have a few things to say to our Mr Blythe. Whilst he really didn't like to hear emotion in haiku, Janali thinks that a good haiku is anything that speaks a thousand emotions in such little words, anything that tells you a story. Don't you wish Mr Blythe could hear us now? She has written a senryu that could apply to both sexes and all ages, and like Robin's work, highlights another serious issue. Have a listen. We love to be loved, 
total abuse and misuse, torn flowers don't grow. It's a tricky subject, isn't it? Now, let's travel to one of my favourite places in all the world. My daughter was there only last weekend, Brighton in the UK. For those of you who don't know it, it's a seaside town, complete with a little railway along the beach, deck chairs to sit on on the promenade, at least one pier, another was seriously damaged last time I was there, and a truly unique royal palace, which has to be seen internally and externally. Anyway, another newbie to the podcast. Welcome, Catherine Winnock. This is her Senryu. Billowing hair blown east by the sea breeze, auburn eyelashes. Apart from the auburn eyelashes, this could have been me at any time in my youth. But the memories of the place are not the main reason that I chose this for inclusion. The main reason for me was to illustrate how well Catherine has used assonance in this work. What is assonance? It's a literary device that repeats the vowels inside the words. The O in the first line, the E in the second. Goodness, we really are going all over the world in this podcast today. Next, I'm delighted to welcome three generations of haiku poets writing from Ankara in Turkey. In order of seniority, from grandmother to mother to niece. Fatma Gultepe, Gules Mutlu and Ece Sireli. They all share a love of poetry, which they tell me is their family entertainment. So let's begin with Fatma Gultepe. She is a retired English teacher whose favourite poets are Shakespeare and Basho. She's been published in a number of haiku journals, including The Heron's Nest. I chose the first of her haiku because for me it illustrates the love between the generations. Granddaughter, colouring a rainbow, April sky. Can you feel the love too? Her second piece is another of those uncomfortable ones, looking at another difficult subject. Henna-haired girl, no longer my student, a thirteen-year-old bride. I thought of my own children at that age, and how ill-equipped they would have been for marriage and parenthood. Fatma said she's against child brides and grooms. You can feel it in the writing, can't you? Now for her daughter, Gulizmutlu. What a clever family they are, linguists all of them. Gulis has finished her postdoctoral research on tenebrismo and tremendismo in the Spanish Romantic poetry at University Pompu Fabra, Barcelona in Spain. She describes herself as a Francophile writer and indeed has written six poetry books from editions Apopsix in France. Additionally, Otata Journal published her haiku chapbook in their June edition, Cappadocia and Mount Nimrod. Wow. And on top of all this, she has time to be a flamenco dancer. Imagine. She wrote us two very lovely senryu about another generation of women. Grandma's scent, the breeze blows, barely, barely. In this piece, I find the repetition successful in evoking the idea of a soul that's passed on, don't you? And... 
grandma's window, all the storms and rainbows. I thought this was really clever. You could look out of the window and see all the storms and all the rainbows, but you could also reverse it and think how many storms and rainbow moments have taken place within the room in which the window lives. Or are the storms and rainbows an expression of grandma's character? It's intriguing, isn't it? And last in this trio, but definitely not least, Eche. She's a member of World Haiku Association and has written haiku published in various journals like Brass Bell and Failed Haiku. She's achieved so much already with her haiku writing. It's amazing. I chose to feature this senryu because it just made me smile. See what you think. Red Cape. I'm going to Grandma's house. Did it make you smile? Next up, I'd like to welcome another new poet, Melissa Howell. She's writing to us from the US, this time from Tennessee, where she's studying to be an Episcopal priest and healthcare chaplain. She can see relationships between her spiritual life and haiku, seeing haiku as a kind of prayer. She thinks that haiku connects science, the natural world, human nature and the sacred in a beautiful way, holding tension and making room for a multiplicity of beliefs and worldviews. Reading what she's told me about her exploration of haiku, I can feel her mind positively fizzing with ideas, and I look forward to reading her thoughts in the future. As for her haiku, well, she considers herself to be very much a beginner, having been writing for a couple of years. She's only now starting to submit her work to journals, and I think we'll probably see her work in many of them. So let's hear a couple of her pieces. Sister's Reunion, The Lilies Just Budding When I read this, I thought of young ladies, perhaps teenagers or women in their early twenties, who'd left for their first experiences outside their family home. Seeing them reunited, you could see the first buds of the women they would become. I asked Melissa what had prompted the poem, and she said, In June, she visited her family in New England, and as they gathered outdoors, she noticed renewals or reflowerings of relationships, just as the lilies, which come up year after year, were also about to rebloom. Her next piece of work. The Bright Taste of Sorrel. Women Laughing as They Weed. Well, I of course enjoyed the synesthesia in the first line. It certainly jumped out at me. But I also loved the happy feeling of the poem, which was inspired by Melissa's work in the community garden. She volunteers in her seminary's community garden, and while solitary gardening is peaceful, there's also something wonderful about caring for the plants together with her friends, talking and laughing as they work, and sampling the harvest as they go. Apparently, sorrel has a lemon candy kind of taste, which she thought paired well with the visual adjective bright, as well as with the joyous sound of women's laughter. I think she was right. It is joyous. Now for another new poet, and this time a man. Welcome Mark Gilbert. I thought when I read his work that he too came from the US, but I was wrong. He's in the UK and a member of the British Haiku Society, which he recommends to us as a good resource. Perhaps I came to this conclusion because of the feel of his work. He was introduced to haiku by Kerouac, 
and I think that you get that sort of vibe from the work I've chosen to feature here. See what you think. Stevie Nicks, The Twilight Reeks of Her Voice I couldn't resist this. It speaks to me as the soundtrack to my pre-teen days and has very fond memories for me. And then this. Two sisters, two clouds, really one cloud. Now Mark didn't know whether I was into one-liners. In truth, I'm still mostly working with three, but I thought this one-liner was perfect. It just says everything it needs to in such a succinct way. Do you have to be a sister to appreciate it? I don't think so. After all, the author is clearly not a sister. But I forgot to ask him whether he was inspired to write this by looking at his own sisters. Or at his daughters, perhaps. Maybe he can fill me in and I'll let you know. Our last haiku poet for today, another of our regulars. Miniko Takahashi from Japan. Hi, Miniko. In a hazy dream, a partner with a dead poet. Now, this was an interesting one. Minoko is a big fan of Teriyama Shui, the dead poet in the poem. In this piece, she's expressing the notion that she would have liked to have known him in person, to have been a creative partner or a muse to inspire him. His work is so alive to her that she wishes she could talk to him about things, to get his perspectives and verbal description or interpretations of her observations. And here's the next. Travel with a man, a river never reaching a sea. This one is about platonic friendships. How do you explain this friendship when so many people make the wrong assumption? I'll let that idea and this poem play over in your mind. When I read these two senryu, I thought they had erotic undertones. Maniko tells me that really wasn't her intention, but she has inspired another idea, which I think I'll come back to next year. I'll put it on my list of topics. Erotic, haiku and senryu. I know just where to start. So anyway, I was so busy putting this together that I almost forgot to add my offering for you. Here they are. Mr Blythe definitely wouldn't like them. Much too sentimental for him, I think. Although the third one, I've tried to write more in the shicky sketch of life type of style. Summer Garden. My nose struggling for Granny's scent. The Garden Centre. Granny's fragrance guiding my credit card. Yellowing christening robe. Mother, 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 daughter. Ta-da! That's it for today. I'm so happy to have been able to feature all our lovely poets. Thank you, thank you to all of you for treating us to your work. And thank you to all of those who joined us today to listen to the haiku and senryu from our community of poets. To redress the balance, I'm planning to do a podcast special in August 2019 on men. I'd be happy to get submissions from now on until July the 31st, 2019. Look at me, organising things for next year already. And speaking of next year, I'm going to be producing more podcast specials. I'm working on the topics and timetable now, and I'll soon be able to put something on the website. I'll let you know when it's done, promise.
The next podcast special will be on the 3rd of September this year. On any topic you like, as long as it's written using one of the sense switching methods. You'll get some help by listening to episodes 32 and 33. Submissions are open until the 15th of August, and I'm looking forward to reading them already. If you want to know more about the poets from today, I'll add all their contact details and websites in the show notes. But as usual, if something's missing, you only have to email me and I'll send you the details. And you can feedback about the podcast by emailing me. You know, I love to get your emails. And you'll find the contacts on the Poetry P website. You can tweet me at the Poetry P, And of course, you can leave comments on SoundCloud. See you next week. Keep writing. <laughs>